When I was just a little girl, I asked my mother, what will I be? A lot of people play the what will I be game while growing up, but things don't always turn out the way we envision. Just ask celebrity caterer Mary Giuliani. She never set out to be a caterer to the stars, but that's exactly what happened. Hi, I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape. Mary Giuliani is an author, party and lifestyle expert, and founder and CEO of Mary Giuliani Catering and Events. Mary regularly works with A-list clients in the worlds of art, fashion, and film. Her latest book is called Tiny Hot Dogs, a memoir in small bites. Mary, welcome to Cityscape. Thank you so much for having me. This is wonderful. (laughs) So let's get the big elephant out of the room right away. Are you related? to former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani turned President Trump lawyer. I am of no blood relation to Rudy Giuliani. I married a cousin. I've been married to my husband for 20, almost 20 years, and I've met Rudy once. How many times (laughs) do you ask that question? Every single day, (laughs) multiple, multiple times a day. Yeah, and I have the unfortunate that it's Mary, which is very close to Mayor. So when I introduce myself to someone, they say, did you just say Mary or Mayor? (laughs) Very confusing. That's all I have to say about that. that Cleared it up. Got it out (laughs) of the way. There is no question. I've never catered a party for him. (laughs) So when you were a little girl, you used to play... What do you want to be with your mom? Yes. So what did you want to be when you were a little girl? Not a caterer. Um, <laughs> everything else but. Um, I I had very big uh, performance aspirations as a little girl. Um, so I, used, I was everything from uh, an astronaut to a singer to an actress to a dancer. But never once did I look up at her and say, Mommy, I want to be a caterer. <laughs> and you went on to pursue acting. Yes, I did. Um, I went to Georgetown. I, I studied English and I was, I was an English major and a theater minor with, um, funnily enough, uh, Bradley Cooper. Um, we bo- graduated the same year. And then huh. we both came to New York at the same time. He went straight to the actor's studio, got in. I applied to the actor's studio, did not get in, and then just did what all you know actresses and actors try to do. You know, one door closes. I waited on um, lines for auditions and got nothing. Um, uh, I was cast in one off-off-Broadway play. I played a Pakistani terrorist um, defending her 7-Eleven and um, just took a job in a catering company to sort of pay bills because I was broke. And it was, you know, something I could do. I could, you know, work in the catering office and still audition. And I was in the – I worked for the um, the catering company for about a month when I realized that, oh, wait, I think I really like this. Like this might be what I want to – be when I grow up. What was it about catering that you liked? It was that it com- it was theatrics and it was a way to control it in a way that I actually I had so little control of trying to be an actress that when I got here I could create unique environments which I'd been doing ever since I was a little girl. I think I think, you know, acting, you know, catering events, it's creative escapism. And for me, that's what I loved about it. Every day was different. I could, you know, control where we were going to eat, how we were going to do it, where we going to There's no rules in catering. You know, a restaurant, you know what you're going to get, first course, entree, dessert. But catering, you could, you know, take it outside. You could take it inside. There was no rules. And I loved that. I loved the creativity about of all that. And so I stayed there for almost three years working in the, in the East Village for – an amazing chef, Daniel Matrochi, um, and then realized that this is really what I what I wanted to do, and so 
I did it. Go out on your own. I did. I did. (laughs) With your husband's help, right? Yes, yes. We had $5,000 left um, from our wedding money, and we cleared that out, um, printed business cards um, on our computer that took up half of our living room at the time. Um, And I had a chef partner that um, I said, you know, this is what I want to do. And we, um, I just sort of, you know, called around, told my friends. I said this, you know, I'm going to take the plunge. I'm going to do my own thing. And a friend of mine just had taken a job at the Tribeca Film Festival and called and said, listen, I know you said you were thinking about doing your own thing. I have 15 parties in a week. Do you think you can handle it? And without even thinking, I said yes. <laughs> and thank, thankfully, we, we pulled it off. But um, it was – and I, I realized that week it was the hardest I ever worked. It was the most terrified I ever was. And, you know, when it was over, I realized that, yes, we had made a good decision, that this is what I wanted to do. Speaking of the Tribeca Film Festival, one of the founders of the Tribeca Film Festival is Robert De Niro. Yes. Robert De Niro is featured in this book, Tiny Hot Dogs. Yes. Lunch with Bob. Yes, Lunch with (laughs) Bob. So how did you come to have Lunch with Bob? Okay. So um, while I was pursuing my acting career, I was taking classes at the Upright Citizens Brigade. And my friend Pete called and told me I have the best news. I got a job assisting the cue card guy at SNL. And I was like, that is the best news ever. And he's like, you could come, you could hang out. And that was really what I wanted. I wanted to go to SNL. I wanted to write for SNL. I wanted to perform on SNL. So I fully was convinced that this was this was it. I just hanging out with Pete and the cue card guy on the set of SNL. I didn't have to take those classes at UCB anymore. I could just do that. So I would hang out there with him every couple, you know, anytime he'd let me and I'd watch him write, you know, big words on markers. And then if that wasn't cool enough, he um, invited me to the cast party where it was the first time De Niro was hosting. This is going back like 16 years. And it was like the invitation I had been waiting for my whole life. You know, growing up Italian, we were very Italian. Um, You know, De Niro was God. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) so this was the closest thing to it. So Pete snuck my sister and I in the back door of the Saturday Night Live party, and it was packed. And there was no tables anywhere except one. So I grabbed my sister, and I said, let's sit here. And she said, we can't sit here. I said, why? She's turned around the reserve sign, and it said, reserve for Harvey Keitel. (laughs) And I said, well, he's not here yet. Let's sit. So we sat down. We had a little Cosmo-fueled bravado. And, um, and, you know, I realized that I turned around, and De Niro was actually right behind me. So my sister kind of was tapping me on the shoulder, and she's like, you got you to gotta do something. This is a moment. And I was like, you're right. So I did the unthinkable, which I would never do now, but I did it then. I tapped Robert De Niro on the shoulder, and I just said, hi, Bob. <laughs> and I said, I'm sorry. I said, hi, hi Mr. De Niro. And he said, it's Bob. I said, hi, Bob. And um, I said, I, I think we have homes in the same um, the same beautiful beach because for years um, I was told that um, my family's home in Montauk was very close to his, but I never saw him in in the 40 years I've been going to Montauk. And um, so he said, yes, we do. We talked about Montauk a little bit. And then he asked me my name and he, I said, I'm Mary Giuliani. Did he ask you if you were related to no, Mary Giuliani? No, <laughs> he just turned his back on me and I turned back and reported to my sister, I think he hates Rudy. <laughs> <laughs> But the night went on, and as he was leaving, he asked for my business card. And so I gave him his business card. And then that was, you know, this thinking that was amazing. That was enough. Eight months later, his assistant called my office and said that he wanted to have coffee with me. Sorry, this is a very long story. I'll I'll tie it up. 
we, after a series of voicemails that he actually left on my phone, just sort of coordinating the time and the date of this meeting, during the month from the phone call to the meeting, I had convinced myself I was being discovered and this was it. I was going to play his daughter and I was going to win an Academy Award. It was going to be triumphant. And we finally had lunch and it was just a game of like 50 questions. We sat down, he asked me a million questions and that was kind of it. At the end, um, you know, he you know politely paid the check, got up and I, I guess I must have had like a like, what, what was this? Because that was it. He just literally <laughs> yeah. sat down and drilled me the questions. You know, what did I do? How did, where did I work? Tell me about Montauk. Tell me about your family. And, I, you know, I said, you know, um, you know, what after all this time did you want to uh, meet me about? And um, you have to read the book to find out what he said. <laughs> no, <laughs> you don't but, divulge but, it in no, the book, but I don't, actually. But I have to say, it was... It's a big lesson in finding... So nothing came of it, um, except that I saw him for 10 years later... I would see my parties and he would remember my name. He would always say, hello, Mary. And at Tribeca Film Festival parties, at other clients' house parties, and he always remembered my name. And I talk about it in the book, and there's a lot of that in this book, about finding the little in the big. You know, no, it, nothing really came of it, but Robert De Niro knows my name. And sometimes, like, that's cool enough. That's all you need. That's all right? you need, right? <laughs> Sorry, very long story for nothing. <laughs> Your hero. But, Your hero in life. Is Steve Martin's character in The Jerk? Yes. Neven Johnson. Why do you love him so much? How come? Because he chose to look at every single day with delusional optimism. And as a young girl, I watched this movie, probably too young that I should have. And I just loved that every single thing he did, he thought this was going to be it. He would just see like your Robert name. De Niro experience. Exactly. You thought it was going to be I it. Thought it was going to be it. He <laughs> saw his name in the phone book and said, "Things are going to start happening for me now." And you know, nine out of ten times, nothing happened. But the one or two times it did, it was really great. And I, I think my career, my life, I've chosen to kind of see things through Naven Johnson rose-colored glasses. Um, sometimes it work out, works out. Sometimes it doesn't. But it's a kind of a, a good way to go through life, I think. <laughs> You referenced that you're Italian. Yes. Very Italian. Very. So what does it mean to be very Italian? It means that I had a mustache growing up <laughs> that looked just like my father's. <laughs> um, we lived in a home where um, my family was all from Queens and Brooklyn and then moved to Long Island when I, w- when I was born. And my grandparents lived in my basement. And we kind of kept all the same traditions of like 1950s Brooklyn in my home in that cooking eating, crying, singing, sharing. That's all we did. Um, so um, we were very, very Italian. We quote, But we're like not the, I, I say in the book, like we're not the fancy Italians that, you know, go to Italy every summer to see their cousins or we're third generation. So like we, we quote Goodfellers like scripture and we call- Robert De Niro is God. Robert De Niro is God. <laughs> we call the sauce, you know, tomato sauce, the sauce. Um, so yeah. <laughs> You're Italian, but yet you wanted to be Jewish. Very, very. Other than, yes. Why? Why? Because I grew up in a predominantly Jewish neighborhood. And I have to say- On Long Island. On Long Island. Um, and I was the exception, just my, my, my little 1950s Italian family. Um, and we were just surrounded. All my friends were Jewish. And I also, I have to be honest, I saw Yentl, and I was drawn to- um, I raised raised Catholic. Um, there was a you know a, a, it was strict, 
And I remember I went to temple with my best friend, Lauren Balkan, once. And I was in. I loved how the rabbi spoke so frankly to the congregation. I loved that. I loved the klezmer music. I loved everything about it. So much so that I went to Hebrew school electively. Um, to this day, I could recite the entire Haftorah. Um, I applied for the Shabbos Goy program at the local hospital so that I could push the elevator buttons for the Orthodox Jews on Saturdays. <laughs> and I threw myself uh, as a chapter in the book, my own bat mitzvah by myself, um, when I was really proud of myself that I could recite the whole Haftorah. <laughs> what did your mom think about your obsess- obsession with Judaism? They just, um, you know, they, they kindly supported me throughout my whole life. But there were a lot of times where my mom kind of looked at me very confused as to like, I, I, this this is mine. Like, <laughs> Your mom is quite the character, someone who likes to give you advice. Yes. Some pretty fun and great advice, I must say. You include it in the book. Yes. Um, so uh, put your socks and your panties on is the chapter about my mother. My mother is the best cook in our family. Blows me away. And I would come home from school and she was always in the kitchen. And I would, you know, mount myself up to do my homework at the kitchen counter. And this was her stage. This was her time to teach me how to cook, first of all. But, like, she never even taught me. It was just osmosis. I would watch her so much that I now know how to cook all of her dishes, thankfully. But um, she also used it as, you know, to impart wisdom. So, like, things like I say, um, a man is attracted to the basil smell. So use it in everything you cook. And when I asked her, do you think that's why you and dad have been married for like, you know, 45, 50, you know, years? Yes, Mary. <laughs> so do you um, include basil? In I, everything. <laughs> it's all over my house. <laughs> and how long have you been married? 20 years. There you go. <laughs> Your mom also told you. Be a wife in public mm-hmm. and be a girlfriend in the bedroom. Yes. Um, she told me this the night before my wedding while she was ironing my veil in the kitchen. Again, in the kitchen. We're always in the kitchen. And I had just gotten a video camera to use on our honeymoon. And I was trying to you know, figure out. I said, Mom, you have any advice for me the night before my wedding? Oh, yes, Mary, I do. She puts the iron down, walks in front of the ironing board, and starts to sing Private Dancer by Tina Turner. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know. I don't know if I really needed that, but she said that she likes to sometimes do that for my dad. Okay. And that I should right. do that on my honeymoon. TMI. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> she also told you not to use cocaine. No. Bluntly. Yes. Um, she was always, she'd always throw like a drug or a drinking um, reference in lesson in while she, and it was always something she read, had read that morning. So one day she said, I just read this morning that a young girl tried cocaine at a party. And do you know what happened? Well, mom, her head blew up and she died. So I swear, though, it worked. It really did. <laughs> yeah, I will never do that. Yeah, I can't. I never. Every time I was offered, I thought my head would blow up. So I just declined. Getting back to your private dancer reference, you say in the book that one thing you learned about being a caterer is never to turn down a catering job, including when you're asked to host a party for a stripper. Correct. Strippers enjoy hors d'oeuvres, too. <laughs> Isn't that the party in which you made a cotton candy cotton margarita? Cotton candy margarita, yeah. and there was an ice luge that was a leg. Um, a leg. Mm-hmm. It was an ice leg. I just, you, you, you run with that visual. <laughs> How did you go from starting a catering company to becoming 
a caterer for the stars, which is what you're known as. Yeah, and I still kind of like cringe a little bit hearing that because it just sounds like you just want to not like that person when you <laughs> when you hear that. <laughs> um, I, I honestly, I think it's just the nature of where I started my business. Um, uh, for, with the Tribeca Film Festival, it kind of led to mostly an art, fashion, and entertainment kind of clientele. So that party, you know, I was very lucky that during those those five days or seven days. HBO was there and representative from HBO was there and then someone was there from Warner Brothers and then they would just sort of like it just sort of became this word of mouth thing and I really put everything I had into all these events because we had nothing else this was it we were riding on this like this was going to be it I had made the decision this is where we were going to be and I think that um, you know it was a great it's a very small word of mouth kind of so uh, fashion art entertainment they all kind of if you if you do a good job for one of them it kind of trickled really quickly and then that's sort of how it happened for me and you know I, I say tiny hot dogs you know the book um I I joke but you know this tray of hot dogs has really allowed me these incredible glimpses into so many worlds um that I only dreamt about as yeah a, let's as talk about the tiny hot dogs yeah how is it that you've come to be known for your pigs and blankets well it's funny I when I worked for the fancy caterer um that I you know got my you know learned everything um I'm not a I'm not a super foodie which is people are confused by that sometimes I, I just like simple things and I was serving all this very fancy food to very fancy people and I just kind of one day said, you know, they must, they're just like us. Like, I'm sure that they, you know, every once in a while I want a hot dog or a grilled cheese sandwich or something fun. And so when I started my own company, that was going to be my philosophy. I wanted to serve things that, that I enjoyed and that people enjoyed. I like serving things that are nostalgic and fun and playful and, and simple. I like finding the, the simple, the special and simple. Um, so hot dogs, for well, it started as my young girl wanting to be Jewish and attending 178 bar and bat mitzvahs. I was not very cute. I looked exactly like Ralph Macchio during a time <laughs> that Ralph Macchio was the karate, the karate kid was kid. the number sure. one movie for, for 18 months. <laughs> I looked exactly like him. And so I would attend these bar mitzvahs, bar and bat mitzvahs every weekend. And I would wait outside the, I didn't have many friends but I, the caterer was my friend, and I would wait every Saturday. Was my joy when these this tray would come by with these delicious, buttery, salty little hot dogs, and then it's kind of funny. So I was always on the outside, kind of looking in, and then I guess you could say about my career now, I am still on the outside. I wanted to be an actress, you know. If you can't join them, serve them. That's where I am now. But I'm really grateful to be the outsider now. I think that's the difference from, you know, growing up into this. Um, I'm, I feel really fortunate to have had all these glimpses. What besides tiny hot dogs are among your staples? Um, our mini grilled cheese, which is no surprise because that's like what I lived on growing up. But um, we have this um, mini grilled cheese that we do with um, fontina and black truffle honey. And I swear it's I call it the like the arm grabber. Like all of our waiters' arms get grabbed and and it's pretty much on every single one of our menus and it's one of our most requested items to to make. Um so you know, I said we were gonna do, you know, playful comfort food. Uh Laurie Colvin calls it in home cooking, um, nursery food. Uh things that you know you'd offer you know, order off the kids menu. Kinda made a pretty good living doing that. <laughs> um and it, and it's just it's this common thing where um we all just want yummy, fun food every once in a while. <laughs> Besides catering the Tribeca Film Festival, what catering event would you say has made you most nervous? 
Oh, gosh. Um, well, I talk about in the book, um, I did the Harry Potter premiere very early on. And I was, you know, again, you know, you get that call and you're never going to get that call again. So you say yes and you just dive in and you commit to it fully. And um, I had never done an event that large before as my own business. And um, they specifically had asked for to cast um, uh, older witch-like women uh, gave me a 60 to 80-year-old range. Um, and so I had to do a special casting. Um, waiters and wait, you know, the wait staff is usually generally a bit younger than that. Um, and so um, I was terrified of how they would be carrying the trays or falling or if the food would get out. And um, so that, that, that scared me so much that, uh, to be honest, uh, the first half hour of the party, I hid in a bathroom stall and prayed. Literally. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> in the basement of St. John the Divine. <laughs> because I just, I had set it all up and I, I I thought we were in great shape and we actually thankfully were. But I was terrified that something was going to go wrong and it just so much was, so much was riding on this. And, um, and so, but, but it worked out. On the flip side of that, what was the event that you had the most fun at? Oh, my gosh. That's a great question. Um, oh, that I've done for I – love, I, I love doing film premieres um, because, again, it's like my – I'm around the, the essence of, of all of that stuff. But what I love the most is I will get sent to see the film um, or show premiering. Um, I love working with HBO because they'll actually um, have me in screen the show uh, or the film and – then create what is the food and beverage and decor moment going to be that the guests will feel like they've gone inside the television. And um, I think I've been doing that ever since I'm a little girl. So um, that to me is what makes me really happy. You and your grandfather would play Johnny Carson. My Papa Charlie. He, we, where I say he loved four things equally, me, Carvel, cigarettes, and cocktails. And um, we would uh, stay up way late with him. And we would, well, we'd watch Johnny Carson, but then we would also play it. He would light a cigarette, pour himself a J&B scotch, and put a sugar cube in it. And then he would announce me. Um, and I would come in in this grand way. And I was, you know, all these different people, but I was mostly Charo. I was obsessed with Charo from watching The Love Boat. <laughs> <laughs> I would dress up. I was about 10 years old. This happened between 8 and 10 years old. Doing your coochie coo. Coochie coo. <laughs> wearing a sequin jacket from my mother and using a tennis racket as a guitar. And um, I, I say, you know, I have a, the essay playing Johnny Carson about my grandfather. They moved into my house at the saddest time of their life. They were actually, my grandmother and grandfather were sick and he he had kidney failure. grandmother had Alzheimer's disease. And they were like kind of departing this world as he was teaching me how to enter mine. Mm. So it was this beautiful moment shared where he just we had so much fun together. We traveled without ever going anywhere um, in in this living room playing Johnny Carson, watching The Love Boat and Fantasy Island in costume. In costume. We would put hats on and we would say, Puerto Vallarta. <laughs> <laughs> now, this was Grandma Mary's husband? This was Grandma Mary's husband. Grandma Lucille was my Montauk grandmother, yeah. who I write about in Free HBO. Grandma Mary was the traditional Italian grandmother. Grandma Lucille was my rebel, maverick, badass grandma who um, was a piano teacher from Queens who saved up money, took a bus ride out to Montauk, New York, and bought one tiny piece of land for $75 
and then went on within her 30-year span out there. She owned several very large hotels. Um, her largest resort was the Wavecrest Resort. It was six acres on the ocean, on the Atlantic Ocean. And um, I write about in the book, uh, Free HBO, um, because I grew up in the 80s going to watching her in the height of her fabulousness. And we would stay in this little tiny cottage, and there would be a little glowing light outside flickering Free HBO <laughs> was the coveted amenity. But um, I watched um, her, and her life was, was very inspirational, but also a bit cautionary in some ways. It was um, She kind of got it all, but at the cost of a, a lot of things, her family. And so to me, it was very relevant to how modern women feel today. You know, we want, we, we do work really hard, but there's this balance I think that we're always trying to do, at least I am, where, you know, achieve yet stay soft and nurture and yet, you know, conquer. And uh, she didn't quite figure that out. Um, but in honor of her, I'm trying to, I'm trying to. <laughs> so watching her helped to set you up for success, would you say? I think so. I think it was that if she could, it was this anything possible kind of thing. You know, this was a woman who against, you know, that time, not many women were, you know, hoteliers and, you know, really going against the grain. And I think that as a young girl seeing that, um, it just made me again just realize you could dream without limits and pretty much anything can happen. You mentioned that you and your husband are together more than 20 years. It'll be 20. It'll be 20, 20 20. years. But yet, Alec Baldwin almost came between you. It could have been Baldwin. (laughs) (laughs) You met Baldwin at a catering event? At a catered event. um, And at the time, this is pre-Hilaria. This was messy. I call it fat Baldwin, like blown out, crazy Baldwin. I liked that Baldwin. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, And I was catering a party, and he at the time was my big crush. And my waiters kept coming in and saying, Baldwin's here. And I was just, oh, my gosh, my Baldwin. And, you know, being the caterer, a lot of times at these celebrity parties, they don't come into the kitchen. You sometimes don't even see the dining room. Um, Really? Yeah. You're you're always just in the kitchen. kitchen. You're in the kitchen, you know. And so this is one of those parties that was very fancy, and we we were in the kitchen. Lo and behold, Alec Baldwin came into the kitchen. He asked who was in charge. I ran up. I said, hi, I'm Mary. Um, and, you know, he said, oh, that's great. It was very nice. You know, small talk about what was on the menu, what we were having. And then he gets interrupted. And someone takes him out of the kitchen. And again, my Navin Johnson delusional optimism. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> I'm convinced. He's digging me. Yeah. He's really into me. <laughs> so much so that I call my husband and say, our marriage is being compromised right now <laughs> in ways it has never been before. With that, the kitchen door swings open again. He walks in, and there he goes. He said, Mary, I have a question. And I was ready. I was ready to leave my dog, my husband, my house. (laughs) And I said, yes, Alec. And he said, do you think you could get me a Diet Coke? (laughs) There's none available out at the bar. And with that, I poured the saddest Diet Coke ever poured, and our romance was over. <laughs> <laughs> you are Navin Johnson, aren't you? I am. <laughs> I really am. <laughs> you write that one of the arduous tasks of being a caterer to the stars is fulfilling celebrity riders prior to an event. What is one of the more challenging ones that you've encountered? I once had a... Um, a very famous actress's assistant sent me the writer that said she was allergic to wool, cheese, and certain types of leathers. 
This was a party for 150 people. So I had to actually have my waiters and myself ask what type of shoe leather the guests had on. The whole night I was frantic looking for like pieces of rogue wool anywhere. Um, And what bothers me about these writers is I'd say nine out of ten times they're not really true. (laughs) Half of the things get uneaten. I've seen many bags of Doritos like very depressed and dejected that they were not the object of, you know, Jay-Z's you know, like, we just get, we get a lot of these requests and, you know, sometimes they're real and sometimes it's just very, very silly. Let's talk practical advice. What's your advice for making a party interesting for anyone? It has to be a reflection of what you enjoy and what you're comfortable with. I don't like, first of all, all right, let's go back. The number one ingredient is you have to have the desire to entertain. If you have the desire to open your home or entertain or throw a party, that's fine. You can work with it. It's the people that feel forced to throw a party or people that feel like they have to or get like crazy Pinterest obsessed, Instagram obsessed that this has to be amazing. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. I, I That's really, um, you know, serve things you've made before. Serve things you enjoy. Serve things that have a story. So, you know, I just... And, and again, I've I've gotten away with just serving pigs in a blanket and martinis. And guess what? It worked. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, it's in the book, Your Cure for a Hangover. Oh, bitters and soda. That's it. There's I've tried I've tried everything. I have been doing years of research on this subject. Bitters and soda will get you through every time. There you go. <laughs> Advice from Mary Giuliani. <laughs> The book is Tiny Hot Dogs, a memoir in small bites. Mary, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much. This was so fun. (laughs) You can learn more about Caterer to the Stars, Mary Giuliani, at marygiuliani.com. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. Thanks so much for listening.